0: Barbecue in Boise, Idaho, and I've got it locked on the 50,000 gigawatt blowtorch of the internet that is Barbecue Central. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me. Fine, how long? <laughs> you We have a great show, I'm a big fan. Boing. So what 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 seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the in the crackle. Charbonneau! It's all about the Charbonneau, dude! Succulent fish, what? He ate
1: 50 before we nerd. Oh, listen, LaBernia, shut your
0: face.
1: I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seeds. <laughs> we have top men working on
0: it right now. Mm-hmm. Top men... And just like that, we are into the second hour of the Barbecue Central Show. We talk about the most important items that have transpired over the week, last few weeks, last few months. It's in the news cycle of live fire. We're going to talk about it right here on this show. The show originating from Palm
1: City, USA.
0: Still so to come on the show this evening, Roger Dowley from Blackstone, founder and CEO, BlackstoneProducts.com. We say good evening to those of you watching tonight through one of our video streaming platform partners, Facebook and Twitch slash BBQ Central Show. Boing. You can also watch on YouTube if you prefer, YouTube.com at slash at BBQ Central Show. And we also have the YouTube poll question of the week going on right now. And I'm asking everybody, including guests, would you care as in would you be hurt if the Memphis in May barbecue contest went away forever? 65% of you are currently saying yes, you would be hurt if the Memphis in May barbecue contest went away forever. And we'll keep you up to date as that poll progresses through the rest of Of the show coming up on the best moments of the barbecue central show in 10 minutes or less this coming Friday episode 294 taking you back to August 26th of 2016 and if you don't go back with the show very far then this is a name you won't recall because to my knowledge and I think I have a pretty good finger on the pulse he's not in the industry anymore again at least that I'm not aware of. Somebody by the name of Barry Martin, a.k.a. CB, is being featured on the Best Moment show this week. Barry worked or was contracted by some pretty big names in the industry back then. The most notable that I can recall off the top of my head was Broil, and he did that for quite a while. I was a recipe developer, uh, cooked on a lot of their stuff, generated some content for them, and I would have him on the show every so often to talk about hot topics of the day and uh, usually, he would be taking a contrarian side of a viewpoint to what most folks were thinking out there. So, if you don't know Barry or CB, I don't recall exactly why his nickname was CB, considering his name was Barry Martin, but whatever, maybe he was a trucker in a former life. You will get to know him this coming Friday. And this is a two part series. So, it will air this coming Friday. Part one, part two will air a week from this coming Friday. And you have to be subscribed to the show podcast feed in order to get the best moments show. So you can do that by going to the website, the com slash subscribe and found out all the ways you can get in touch with the show and get it at your convenience. And don't forget, if you want to hear a guest or segment again that has been lost in the archives, you can email John, J-O-N, at the com, and he will let you know exactly what you can do or what he can do for you as it relates to a best of show that you would like to see as I'm pulling up the famous Dave's website here because believe it or not there was another famous Dave's all-star barbecue series contest that rolled into Colorado Springs this past weekend and taking the grand championship Chris Webb for proud souls barbecue Reserving Tyler Mayhew from Meat Machine Barbecue, there were a total of seven teams, which, unless I'm completely mistaken, is like the largest showing for that particular event. A lot of them have had four or five teams. If I'm not mistaken, there was a six-team cap, like not 16, but six teams cap on this thing as they were rolling out the first version of the Famous Dave's All-Star Barbecue Challenge. So, congratulations to the winners there. The next Famous Days All Star Barbecue series is happening this coming Saturday, August 12th, in San Jose, California. So, if you would like to see more upcoming events or you would like to track the results of all the past events, just go to FamousDaves.com slash BBQ Central. I'm sorry, slash All Star BBQ Series. That's uh, FamousDaves.com slash All Star BBQ Series. Email from Sean in Washington. And in the subject line, something I would hate to see every day of the week, potted meat. Get that big stuff out of here. And he writes, Greg, as a child, I remember eating Vienna sausage as a snack and liking them. So I went out in search of potted meat and finally came across some at the Buck 25 store. Armed with some saltine crackers, I delved into the can. It is a pink pate-like substance The smell is sort of strange, but not terrible. Good is a generous word, but it's not bad. I didn't spit it out. I also did not consume the whole can. It is interesting for sure. Very salty. Tastes just like the Vienna sausages I used to eat, but in pate form. I'm not going to be seeking this product out necessarily, but recommend giving it a try. Never know. You might like it. Regards, Sean. Sean, appreciate you writing it. Look... I had all the experience with potted meat that I want like a month and a half ago when I was on my way back from Dallas from a work meeting and that guy in the middle seat sitting right next to me, 30 minutes from Cleveland, decided he was hungry enough to rip open his can of potted meat and go to town, affecting seven rows in front and behind him. Everybody doing the stank eye turnaround. It did not smell great. It smelled terrible. And a buck 25 potted meat. Like, if I'm going hunting or camping and I'm worried about getting lost and I need sustenance to maintain life, maybe I'm looking at potted meat, but otherwise, I think I'm steering away from potted meat. I might just eat a cheese sandwich and call it a day. Also, email from Yitzi in New Jersey writing in Greg, I'm sure I wasn't the only one, but I was generally. And genuinely surprised that you were not a barbecue Hall of Fame finalist. You can you believe it, Yitzie? Kudos to you for concealing your disappointment, ironically proving that you have brought such a high level of professionalism to the barbecue podcast genre. Perhaps good old guy Fieri has his foot on the door blocking your entrance, fearing his unceremonious ouster if you were ever to get in. Either way. We look forward to your continued Barbecue Hall of Fame worthy content. Regard, Yitsi, Yitzi, thank you for writing in as well. Now, Yitzi, I have to say, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I wasn't like concealing my disappointment that I get in, into the finalists of the Barbecue Hall of Fame this year. As I stated on many occasions, there was only one reason I was even talking about it. Now that we've got all that ironed out. It's been an honor to unveil both the finalists list and then a couple weeks later, who's getting into the Barbecue Hall of Fame. And then I get to have all those great interviews with the folks that have made it into the Barbecue Hall of Fame. So, yeah. Thank you for writing in and thank you for listening to the show, Yitsi. So, we have Roger Daly getting ready to come on the show here, talk about Blackstone and business and riddle cookers and pizza ovens. Before we get to him, I'll talk to you about Big Papa Smokers. Listen up, gang. Our friends at Big Papa Smokers have something special for you, the listeners of this show. Whether you're a seasoned pit master or a grilling noob, Big Papa Smokers is your one stop shop for all things barbecue. From their championship rubs, mouth watering sauce, essential accessories, they've got what you need to take your food to the next level, both on the competition circuit and in the backyard. Here's the cherry on top. Big Papa Smokers is offering the listeners of the Barbecue Central Show an exclusive deal. Use the code REMPE, R-E-M-P-E, R-E-M-P-E. You'll get $10 off your next purchase of $50 or more. Rubs, sauces, accessories, a combination of all that. $10 off $50. Imagine the possibilities. Evaluate your ribs with Big Papa Smokers Sweet Money Rub or... Add Big Papa's Desert Gold to your chicken or veggies, or better yet, pick up a bottle of Big Papa Smokers Double Secret Steak Rub. Start shopping today, BigPapaSmokers.com. Don't forget to use the code REMPE, R-E-M-P-E. Check out to claim your $10 off your next order of 50 bucks or more. If you've never had the Big Papa Smokers rubs, my favorite, across all channels and all brands, they have a nice big starter box. Just get that. It's definitely more than 50 bucks you can save ten dollars off of that and then of course don't forget to check out their full line of recipes and follow along as sterling himself is cooking the website cooking with big cooking with and if i'm not mistaken because it's such a craze you're going to be sidil- you're going to be seeing a griddle or griddling with big coming soon i'll give you the heads up when that actually launches but and talking with Sterling, he's a big fan of that and has started to shoot a tremendous amount of content. So look for that as well. Follow him on social media platforms for all those amazing recipes. And again, Rempy a checkout to save 10 bucks off a $50 purchase. We're back with Roger Daly right after this. Stick around. I'll be right back. You're listening to The Barbecue Central Show.
1: Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show
0: entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. And this portion of the show being brought to you by Pit Barrel Cooker, the most unbelievable outdoor cooking device on the planet, currently available in three sizes, a host of accessories. Complete that Pit Barrel cooking experience beginners and professionals agree it's a cooker you want to add to the arsenal visit pitbarrelcooker.com and tell them the barbecue central show sent you leading off the second hour the creator of a product that has taken over the live fire industry the likes we haven't seen since perhaps the pellet cooker over the past few years if you like cooking with cast iron pans you want more surface area and you want to do it outside versus heating up the inside of your home then you want to check out the griddles And you certainly want to check out the leader in this portion of the industry. We have the founder and CEO ready to rock and roll here. We welcome back Roger Daly to the show. Roger, before we get into business talk and talking about griddles and pizza ovens, we have to get your take on the YouTube poll question of the week, which is, would you be sad? Would it hurt your feelings if the Memphis and May barbecue contest went away forever? Yes or no?
1: Oh, Of course, we want that to keep going. Yes.
0: Well, it seems to be in dire straits. We'll learn more about that uh, at the end of the show. However, earnings calls have been coming pretty hot and heavy over the past week or so. And a company that has a competing product, Traeger, said that their inventory glut has more or less resolved itself. And their griddle has been selling so well, they can't keep up with demand. So of that, I speculate, is by design. However, if I go to the Blackstone website and I try to buy a 36-inch griddle, it does say it's currently out of stock. So is there a general materials, labor, supply chain problem, or is the demand just that great?
1: could be a little bit of both. On In our case, we've had, uh, I think, a really good control of inventory this year, much better than last year, the last 18 months. So We've had a lot of strong demand through the first six months of this year. been really pleased about it. I was very concerned about July, August, September in particular. That's our third quarter and typically our slowest. But uh, July was really strong and August so far has started off strong as well. So we're still seeing on our product really strong sell-through at retail.
0: If this is the time when it would start to trend down, is there anything that you can point to As to why it's so strong still
1: yeah inventory has been a challenge for for everybody you you just mentioned traeger and they had too much inventory well that affected us because retailers not so much traeger but uh, overstock inventory in general affected us because retailers couldn't replenish even products that were still selling strong so we had some of that impact we definitely had some customers who couldn't bring in enough blackstone because they were overstocked on other brands, whether that was grills, TVs, whatever whatever the case may be, it definitely has affected their open to buy throughout their whole chain. So we saw some of that, um, but I would say, especially in the last month in particular, uh, our customers have gotten in a really good inventory position, both with the percent they have in stock, in the stores, on the way, so I think third quarter is going to be really solid. And I think fourth quarter this year could be phenomenal.
0: Do you see a lot of gift giving in the fourth quarter? Is that a is holiday season a big thing or no? It's amazing to me how many people wrap up
1: a 36-inch, 150-pound box and put it <laughs> under the tree. So yeah, gift giving is really big. We actually continued our ad campaign on television into the fourth quarter last year, which is the first year that we've done that. And it was very successful, so we'll follow up with that and do some more advertising, uh, traditional television, and also social media.
0: When I met you in Louisville for the first time a handful of months ago, you had mentioned that you could see a point, potentially, where the griddle sector might command 35% of the market. Uh, I had Ken Johnson, buyer at Home Depot, uh, for the Live Fire segment on a few weeks ago and asked him what he thought about that number. He didn't fully disagree You didn't fully agree. How well do you think that statement ages, you know, six months or so since we first met at that expo?
1: Um, I may have been a little light. It might be more like 40%. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, I'm a little bit biased and very optimistic. But it's just, you know, if you really look at the way people cook outside, if you want to cook fast and fun, and be done in 30 minutes and feed your family, you're going to cook on a griddle. And and now, you know, pellets, smokers, you can't duplicate that in 30 minutes, obviously. You're not going to ever replace that, but it's more of an event and it's more of a time commitment that we just don't have until maybe the weekends. So as a result, smoking and pellet is just never going to replace all of the fast grill Mm or, you know, traditional gas grill, charcoal business, or you know, that, that, I believe, is where griddles are going to come in and really take over. And, and it's not just that it's fast and fun. It's all about variety. You think about what you can cook on a griddle, and that's why we're winning right now. You go on social media, look at uh, YouTube, look at TikTok, Instagram, People are posting every day all the different kind of food they're cooking. It's so fascinating to watch that happen. And, And it's all about variety and who can be the most creative and who can come up with a different recipe. And so griddles just lend themselves to cooking so much different styles of food that the popularity of griddle cooking is going to continue. That trend is not going away.
0: Can you attribute the success of the longer cooks, the pellet cookers, the offsets and stuff as purely pandemic related where a lot of folks were now working from home? So they had all of this extra time to make an event five days a week or six days a week, or seven days a week if they wanted to. And now that there has been more or less a return back to the office and whatever the workflow used to look like prior to the pandemic, they don't have that associated free time that they had throughout the course of the day for almost two years.
1: There, there definitely was an uptick in sales and interest in anything in the backyard during the pandemic. People were home. They looked at their backyards. They wanted to make an investment. They spent money on the patio because it's such a fun place to be with family and friends. So everybody benefited from that. And pellet, it, pellets were no different. I, I don't really think, though, that it was the pandemic that really fueled that fire, so to speak. Mm. It's just, you know, barbecue is delicious food, and people love it and want to cook it, and we want to eat it. And so, I think pellets just make it maybe a little bit easier for someone to to flavor the food with smoke. I know I would personally really struggle if I tried to use charcoal because I'm not very good at it, or if I tried to use, it, you know uh, – um, a ta- any any kind of slow cooking with charcoal or wood, I would not do well. But with a pellet grill, it kind of makes it a no-brainer. So I think there were a lot of people who came into that category who wanted to experience that food, but it was just too hard to cook for them. And so pellets made it a lot easier for them. I think that's what really fueled a lot of their growth.
0: Roger Daly joining me here on the show, the founder, CEO of Blackstone, blackstoneproducts.com, the website. Let's talk about Retailers here for a second, getting into retailers, so if you're going to go into a major retailer like a Home Depot or a Lowe's or a Walmart, certainly it's not for everybody, it's not set up for every company. Why did you know that it would be the right thing for Blackstone, and how do you make that relationship to get started
1: well i've been I've been in this business for about thirty years. So I've been selling consumer products to mass market retailers in the United States for a long, long time. Over the course of my career, I've developed a lot of relationships. And as I've gotten older, my assistant buyers who became buyers, who became merchandise managers, who became vice presidents remained my friends. So for me, there's a lot of personal relationships out there with a lot of different Mm -hmm. major retailers. And they, they move from company to company and they get promoted. They move from... They move from sporting goods to camping to outdoor cooking to, you know, they move all over the place in the store as they go throughout their career. So for me, it was just what I do every day. I get up and I call Walmart or I call Lowe's or I call Depot or I call Amazon. It's pretty much what I do every day. How did I know Blackstone was going to be successful there? Well, it really started From the beginning of trying to position the brand and where I wanted the brand to be positioned, I could have come out and put more a little more cost into the product and come out at a higher retail price point. But I didn't think that was my customer. I wanted to make it really affordable and most important for me, I wanted to create an incredible value. So that when the customer takes it home and they open the box, they put it together and they start cooking on it. They go, wow, I paid 500 bucks for this. This is amazing. Or 300 or 700, whatever. The, I don't care what the price is. I just want my customers to be really super pleased with the product. And if you look at our industry, outdoor cooking, Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, Amazon, control a huge percent mm-hmm. of the retail market share. So if you're going to get in my business, you got to be with those four retailers or one of them, at least. And then, you know, beyond that, you you go to the independent hardware channels, Ace, True Value, Do It Best, Orgel, those kinds of retailers. And then there's different types of retailers. Um, Dick's Sporting Goods is a good customer of ours. We love Dick's. They do really well because they bring in that camping customer. But they also do well with our big griddles because they have a customer who loves to shop there as well. So we're fortunate that we have a really wide variety of product mix. And so we can help our customers merchandise different price points and features and benefits that satisfy their demands as a retailer for margin while satisfying what their customers expect to find in their stores.
0: How quickly can that relationship be terminated by either side?
1: anytime they want. There's no contract that says, you know, you're in, but typically a retailer, regardless of what the item is, whether it's in the lawn and garden or sporting goods or clothing, typically retailers work on a, at least a 12 month cycle. Mm -hmm. They go through a selections process. They look at the products they're carrying They evaluate which ones are performing and which ones are driving profitability and and sales. They make changes. And during that selection process is when you could, quote unquote, get tossed out and replaced by a competitor. Or you could gain some floor space and get more items in for the next year. But typically, most of my customers work on a 12-month cycle and they go through a selections process. For the lawn and garden department of most major retailers, that starts late in this fall and goes through early spring and they've made their selection for the next year so we're already well we're well past what we know our customers will buy for 2024 for example so we already have those selections we know what those products are we have to have that kind of lead time because we may be making complete revisions new items changes and you have to go through the product development cycle where you're doing all the engineering, all the testing, all the safety certification testings, getting it built overseas in your factories and shipped and supplied.
0: Are you able to, or is the retailer coming back to you and saying, Roger, uh, we like what you've done with this griddle, but we would like you to do X, Y, and Z to make it more our brand or, or more special to us? Or will you go to the to the retailer and say, hey… Um, we're going to make these revisions and do they get some kind of a veto on that if they like the way it's selling now?
1: Uh, all the above. <laughs> and so when, when you get into a relationship with your customers, regardless of how big they are, whether it's Walmart or whether it's Al Sporting Goods, right? And that's a local chain here in Utah that has five stores. When you get in a relationship where you're working together to merchandise the line, That's when you have the most success. And it's got to be a collaboration. I need to listen to them. They need to listen to me. I know what's going on with their competitors, which I don't share with them. They know what's going on with my competitors, which they don't share with me. But working together and working out as long as we can, you just have a lot more success. And we do that with all of our customers. We, We have a lot of them. Uh, we're to the point now where they'll actually come out to our offices in Utah mm-hmm. and spend two or three days with us to work on, you know, we're working on 25, 26 right now with a lot of our okay. customers.
0: There have been some business moves since the expo, most notably Pit Boss, Dance and Selling, their uh, Pellegrills to the WC Bradley. It's not your scope of expertise necessarily, but did you get approached or did you ever think about putting a deal together with Danson's and bringing in a successful pellet grill line for the Blackstone products family?
1: Um, I know Jeff and Dan, his father, and we, I I think they're extremely nice guys like him a bunch. Uh, No, we didn't have any conversations with them, but there've been other competitors in the past that have approached us and looked seriously at maybe trying to acquire Blackstone, which we passed on some deals. Um, But we haven't really been in acquisition mode with competitors up to this point. But I was happy happy for the Thesans. I'm glad that that worked out for them.
0: Would you like to add a pellet cooker to the Blackstone products at some point or just not your scope?
1: No, um, anything that's outdoor cooking is my scope, but I'm not gonna just go put out a 599 799 999 pellet grill because I could in about 5 seconds and put yeah. my brand on it and it would sell because we have really loyal customers I won't but I won't do that with any product it has to be innovate we have to innovate it we have to make it better there has to be a reason why we did it and if we have that reason then you'll see a pellet grill with the Blackstone brand on it but it will be innovative and different from anything that's out there And um, don't hold your breath on that one because it will happen sooner than later.
0: Let's talk about griddle cookers here just for a second. Blackstone products, of course. Um, One of the things that I heard as some of the new competitors were coming out into the scene, it wasn't from owners that I'd ever heard from, was uh, how their units were uh, sunk down or protected from wind uh, because flames were being blown out otherwise. Uh, Is that a, a manufactured problem? or is that a real issue that you guys had heard from your customers and that you'd work to remedy?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a fair, that's a fair um, question. And you know, as my competitors come out with product, they're gonna try to find any tiny little thing they can think of to try. What would you do? How do you compete against Blackstone? We dominate, we have the best product, we have the most innovation, we're so far down the road. They gotta try to pick at something. Wind is a problem with a griddle. And here's the reason. When you're cooking on a griddle plate, there's nowhere for the heat to escape. It's got to go front, sides, or out the back because it can't go through. It goes through the steel and heats it up, but it's not like a gas grill where the heat goes straight up, right? So... Our griddles had always been designed with a gap around to help mitigate the heat and the heat buildup inside the firebox, and especially so the side shelves don't get too hot, burn people when they touch them. Yep. So, yeah, we knew about wind. We actually have uh, a remedy for that. We have a wind guard kit that we've sold, and if people really have a problem with it, they can spend 30 bucks, and it basically is hanging some sheet metal on the two sides and in the back, and it protects the wind. However, because we believe we're the best in this industry, we've come out with a new griddle plate, and we haven't really made a big marketing splash on this yet. But I'll make it tonight on your show. Great. We 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 came out with a uh, patent pending omnivore griddle plate, and this griddle plate is going to rock the industry. Mm. So you know wind was one thing but that wasn't the biggest challenge and my competitors don't even know this yet but I guarantee you that that they're gonna they're getting phone calls to their customer service right now warping the griddle plate is a much bigger problem than wind is mm. okay so you take a griddle you get it hot ready to cook on it and you throw frozen hamburgers on it you're going to warp that plate from corner to corner about two to three inches it will lift off the corners and people freak out they think what's wrong with my griddle is this still going to crack is it is it defective then as soon as you turn the heat off metal goes back to its original shape and it goes flat again so we set out on a quest and it it seriously took us almost two years Mm -hmm. of intensive testing and engineering to come up with this omnivore griddle plate. And basically what we did was completely change the underside of the griddle plate. And we, we, in the past, we always had uh, three bars of angle iron that were welded in place from left to right, side to side, and spaced evenly front to back. And th- those, those helped, those helped a lot, but it's, it didn't solve the problem. And so, by completely reengineering the bottom side of the griddle plate, we were able to put some railing, for lack of a better description, around the back, the sides, the front, and then in an X pattern underneath. But it was also that we had scalloped edges on that. And we're moving heat and controlling heat to our heat zones now better than ever, better than anybody's. It's, it's, there's not even a comparison as how well this thing works. <laughs> and we can take that griddle, heat it up to 700 degrees and take huge swim towels that are soaked in ice cubes and ice water and throw those on top of the griddle plate and it will not warp. It's <laughs> amazing what it does. The other thing that is so amazing about it is it became extremely efficient in moving the heat on the griddle plate, getting all out to the corners, front to back, side to side. And it became so efficient that with our regular BTU output, it was getting the griddle plate too hot. Mm. So, we had to, quote unquote, turn it down. Well, let me tell you what turning it down did. It, uh. it was a green initiative of ours. Now, you don't have to have as many BTUs as to get the griddle plate to the same temperatures, You're saving about, in some cases, up to 20 to 25% of your fuel on a cook. What does that mean? That means instead of running out of gas when you're right in the middle of cooking some food, you won't because you'll still have plenty of propane in the tank because you don't use as much with our new omnivore plate. Now, in addition to that, the omnivore plate basically has built-in wind guards as well. On the sides, which that was the problem in the past—the wind coming in from the sides. So that's that was resolved, but not in the direct effort to solve for wind. That was really to solve for warping.
0: When does now, the-, the reason
1: I haven't? Yeah, you're just going to ask when that's coming out. Yep. That has been released, but I'm making a rolling change on it, and so I could. I, I we do still have inventory in stock in some retail locations that has the original plate on it. And if I make a huge deal about Omnivore plate, I don't want customers (laughs) opening the box to see if it's got the new griddle plate on it uh, to get that versus the old one and causing inventory issues. So that's working its way through, but we're pretty much in full release on that right now.
0: It seems you're going to know better than me, but when you have three burners, two burners, four burners, whatever the case may be on a griddle No manufacturer specifically. There's a lot of to do about uh, the zones. So it's, you know, low here. And so I can sear here, but I can keep my tortillas warm over here. Are there a lot of people that use that many different heat zones across the griddle? And is it easy to keep heat in different temperatures when you have a big? thing of steel and you know I I look I'm as dumb as they come so to me it seems like if one side is really hot eventually it's going to kind of creep over to the other sides as well how do people keep it from bleeding over
1: well it's a great question and the reality is it actually does pretty good mine and my competitors it really does work so you can like when I'm cooking if I'm making some like stir-fried veggies I'll cook those and get them right where I want them. I'll turn my far right burner off completely. I'll keep my third burner from the left on low, push the food over there, keeps it perfectly warm while I'm searing steak or chicken on the two burners on the left side of the griddle plate that are still really hot. Mm. So yeah, and yeah, of course, you turn on one side of the burners and eventually the whole plate Absolutely gets hot, but it's a big variation in temperature. If you've got one burner off and one burner on, you'll have a big variation from right to left. It works great, it really does.
0: Thirty-six inch still the most popular size and riddle for blackstone.
1: It is, yep. That's the original size, and people think, "Well, I've only got two people at home or four people at home. I don't need that big." Yeah, but you end up using all that real estate. It's really interesting. Like I say, when I'm cooking, the thing I love about it is I can cook the whole meal on the griddle Mm -hmm. and keep it warm off to the side. If I had a smaller griddle plate, it would be hard to do that. I'd probably have to move it off the griddle plate into some you know, pans or dishes or something. But it's nice to keep it on the plate. It keeps it warm while you're still cooking the rest of the food.
0: If 36 inches is the sweet spot, typically in barbecue, it's is always better. Is 72 inches not a better option at some point?
1: Well, it depends how strong you are because the griddle <laughs> plates start getting, you know, they, we we have a 48-inch um, griddle plate, beautifully designed, six-burner griddle, two propane tanks, and I don't sell very many of them. The thing's just too heavy. The The griddle plate itself weighs about 115 pounds. Wow. So, it's it's harder to move around. We thought our catering customers would really like that bigger griddle. What we found is they just buy two to three Blackstones, 36s. And they can be doing meat on one, steak on one, chicken on one, veggies on the other one, tortillas on one. So, that way they can really control the temperature for what they're cooking and what they're catering for.
0: Outside of the griddle market and uh, very honored and happy that you'd mentioned the omnivore plate here as far as uh, being released about it. and we'll try and keep it you know hush hush to make sure we're not causing any <laughs> undue rush um there's uh, this pizza oven uh, that is now a second generation so you've already had one out and now there's a new one coming out why did pizza oven make sense to you and what do you think blackstone is bringing unique to the market
1: well there is no question that our pizza oven is in my humble opinion The best pizza oven in the market. I was—I did not invent this product. There, there was a good. He became a good friend of mine. The original inventor's name was Willard Gustason. He lived in Michigan, and unfortunately, he passed about a year and a half ago at an early young age. But Willard was a genius, and he was one of these—I call him garage inventors. They just know how to make really cool stuff, and I got introduced. Uh, to Willard and he his original pizza oven was called the two stone pizza oven and he was selling this thing basically on pizzamakingforum.com's website and he would sell two or three of them a month he was charging you know 3 or 4 grand a piece and what was so unique about Willard's oven was he invented the rotating stone so the bottom stone that you put the pizza on rotates slowly in a circle. So you never have to go in and lift the pizza up. You don't have to dome it. You don't have to twist it, turn it. You don't have to be a pizza chef. And then the second thing he did was he put a second pizza stone right above the cooking pizza. And so that creates radiant heat because it gets hot. And he put the burner out on the side instead of directly underneath the rotating stone, that's off to the side. And then a very unique call it a Darth Vader dome that goes over that first pizza stump. It's on an angle and the heat comes up around the side, hits the top of the pizza stone, radiates the heat back down. So you've got hot air underneath the pizza. You've got hot air circulating around it and you've got heat radiating back down on top of it. And the goal is to cook that pizza perfectly from the top and the bottom, meet right in the middle of the pizza and have it finished in, you know, two three minutes at the most depending on how thick a pizza you're cooking if it's a neapolitan style pizza it's 90 seconds Mm. and it's pretty much finished If it's a little bit thicker pizza it takes three or four minutes now if you do a chicago deep dish pizza then you've got to turn the temperature down and cook it for about 12 minutes because those things are so thick you gotta you gotta make sure it's cooked all the way through but willard's original inventions were incredible and we ended up buying he had two patents that issued We've had two more issues since then, mm. and we have more pending. So, we have a lot of intellectual property on our pizza oven. And we introduced that thing. I, I first came across this in 2012. So, it's been over 10 years ago. Mm. And we we came out with that oven in about 14, 15, and started selling it. And uh, candidly speaking, I never loved the design. I kind of thought it looked like R2-D2. I keep referring to Star <laughs> Wars here. But it, it was... You know, I'm I'm just going to be honest. It was kind of ugly, but man, did it work! It's unbelievable how well it cooks a pizza. The challenge was is you're getting so hot in the baking chamber in certain places inside it could reach almost a thousand degrees wow. that the that it has a motor that hooks into a shaft that turns the the cooking stone, and that motor was just getting too hot and breaking, and so finally in about. 2018, 19, I pulled it off the market. I needed to completely re-engineer, revamp it, completely change everything about it mechanically. And then COVID hit. And so that cost us a couple more years. And so that's why it took us so long to get this thing back out on the market, which we just really reintroduced earlier this year.
0: If I look at... Your pizza oven, and then I look at, uh, I forget what the model is, but there's a, is it the Gosney Dome or whatever? So both have these Mm -hmm. uh, burners that are like shooting up, uh, very impressive looking. Um, Separate enough to not, one not be uh, encroaching on the other, or are they taking some of your IP there?
1: No, I mean, pizza ovens have had um, burners in the back, whether it's a wood-fired pizza oven. That's the heat source. Or if they have a gas flame, that doesn't really violate any of our intellectual property. Those have been around, quote unquote, forever. And some of the properties, the the patents that we have, you know, patents get very technical, especially if they're design patents. And so ours has to involve rotation, side shields, and a heating element that doesn't turn on the heating element on the top that radiates back down. Those are kind of the major embodiment embodiments in our pizza oven. Now, Greg, I I need to mention also we what we have what I'm going to call my original pizza oven, which is big. It runs on pro t- propane. We also have two small pizza ovens that actually sit on top of our portable. 22 inch and 17 inch griddle Mm. and so you take the griddle plate off and you put a pizza oven on top of it that they don't rotate those stones don't rotate but we spent again a major amount of time in engineering designing a way for the heat chamber to rotate through those ovens and it cooks a pizza really really good it just takes Mm. a little bit longer than my big oven but you don't have to you don't have to rotate it or dome it The smaller pizza ovens do require that you put the door on it to keep the heat inside of it, because it doesn't have the heat source that my big pizza oven does. My big pizza oven has a 60,000 single high pressure BTU burner in it. So, you know, you need to form some metal, fire that thing up. (laughs) If you want to cook a pizza… Fire that thing up.
0: Uh, easy enough to control temperature, too? If you want to cook at like breakneck temperature, it obviously appears like it could achieve that. But if you want to kick it back a little bit, um, do you not yeah, end up yep. getting to a high temperature anyway?
1: Well, yeah. Uh, what I found for me is my pizzas cook the best when I get the cooking stone at about 625 to 650 degrees. And I'll shoot it with a laser temp. Yep. And that works really, really well. And I would suggest people who get a pizza oven do the same. Regardless of the brand, know your temperature inside the inside the oven, because that's the whole success in cooking that pizza really, really well. And there's a little bit of a learning curve with my oven. But once you get that nailed and you know, on the temperature gauge right where you want your dial because again it, there's so many variables what kind of pizza you're cooking how much moisture is in your dough what a- ambient temperature is where you're at altitude there's there's it's a little bit more technical than my griddle my griddle get it hot and throw your food on and cook it right <laughs> but the pizza oven a little bit more of a learning curve but you know people love pizza it's mm-hmm. the biggest fast food that we have in this country and it it is amazing um When people get into pizza cooking, how well they dial it in. And once they get it dialed in, they can cook 30 pizzas in a row and never touch it.
0: Roger Daly is the CEO of Blackstone Products. You can find him at blackstoneproducts.com, all major retailers as well. We've talked about business. We've talked about griddles. We've talked a exclusive announcement and we've talked pizza. We've said it all. Roger, appreciate the time here this evening. Appreciate you joining the show and continued success.
1: Thank you very much, Greg. You're doing a great job. We, we appreciate what you
0: do for this industry. Thanks so much. There he is, Roger Daly, right there. BlackstoneProducts.com is the website. And if you're in the market for a pizza oven, high-pressure burning. You had me at high-pressure burner. No doubt. I'm going to do my best to get you up to speed on the YouTube poll question of the week. But we'll do that when we come back. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. We'll be right back. Let's get back to a guy who has more experience giving you his opinion. Then he actually has cooking. Once again,
1: here's your host, Greg Rampy.
0: And we thank Roger Daly for joining us for the last segment, an extended segment at that, which we certainly appreciate. Again, the website is blackstoneproducts.com little update on the griddle plate the omnivore griddle plate announced right here on this show a barbecue central show exclusive news update that's right so very excited that we got one of those but didn't even expect that so if you are getting a new blackstone uh, a little hard to tell like if like where the inventory is at this point but I assume if you're in the market for a new Blackstone, uh, maybe you wait a little bit, that that one is going to be on your particular griddle. I'm in the market myself right now, so hey, why not? That reminds me. I asked you if it would hurt your feelings if Memphis and May's barbecue contest went away forever. And as we sit towards the end of the show, 67% of you are saying yes, it would hurt your feelings if the Memphis and May barbecue contest one away forever. By the way, before I forget, I have a three pack of Rubs giveaway for you. Uh, these are sent in by, oh, what's their name? It's Cedric the Entertainer and Andre, no, uh, uh, Anderson is his last name, uh, the actor. Why am I drawing a blank? Anthony Anderson, that's what it is. So we have uh, a lemon stepper, which I assume is some kind of a lemon pepper rub. We also have Midnight Smoke, which has black pepper in it. And we also have the MVP, which is an all-purpose barbecue rub. So if you would like not one, but all three of these, uh, they have a new television show that's going to be coming out, I think, in four days. Through A and E Television, uh, it's Cedric the Entertainer and Anthony Anderson. So they're launching a new barbecue brand, and they're touring the country to hit up backyards and talk about barbecuing and all that stuff. Uh, send me an email, and in the subject line, put A and E TV. And if you're the first one in, I will then recontact you back. Ask for your shipping info. Uh, information and then I will send you these rubs from AC Barbecue, which A I believe is Anthony C. Cedric AC. You get it. So there you go. Again, if you would like those rubs, send me an email, Greg at Show dot com, and in the subject line, A and E TV. So, gang, Memphis in May is in trouble with a capital T, and that rhymes with B. And that stands for barbecue. Uh So I posted on my Facebook page over the weekend that there was a damage invoice for the 2023 Memphis in May barbecue festival and blues festival. There's a music festival that happens the week before the Memphis in May barbecue festival. So this damage amount encompasses both festivals. That's the Memphis in May festival. It's both the music and barbecue festival. The gross total Coming in at one point four million dollars and an effective net build out amount of six hundred and seventy five thousand dollars three hundred uh, sorry six hundred seventy five thousand three hundred and sixty six dollars after all of the security and damage deposits were taken out of it. So if we dig into this a little bit more, I can give you some background in case you didn't follow me on social media or you know whatever, but. There was an article that was dated back on August the 3rd, so about five days ago from now. The councilman, Ford Canal, said we expected damages and that's why we set aside $500,000. But that was supposed to be for the next two fiscal years. Most of the damage has been in the past 50 some odd thousand dollars. Councilman uh, Councilman Martavius Jones said, "So to go from fifty some thousand to one million should be a shock to all my colleagues and all the other stakeholders." To put it in perspective, the city responsible for the first three hundred and fifty thousand dollars of damage, Memphis and May was to put up a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar deposit, and anything over that goes back to the responsibility of Memphis and May. And if I pull up a copy of the invoice here, and I'll go ahead and kick it over on uh, it. So this is the letter that was sent from the Memphis River Parks Partnership to Memphis and May. It said, uh, "Attached is Montgomery Martin Contractors' quote along with our invoice for damage repair to Tom Lee Park." The invoice was prepared in accordance with Tom Lee Park rental agreement, Section 3B. Damages are based on the binding determination of the neutral third-party arbiter and the cost of repair. The damage is consistent with the contract prices contained in the Tom Lee Park construction contract between Memphis River Parks Partnership and Montgomery Martin, taking into consideration changes in the current day cost, material, and labor. Please remit payment of the invoice no later than August 12th, as required in Section 11 of the Terms and Conditions of the Tom Lee Park Rental Agreement dated March 3rd, 2023. Uh That's less than four days from right now. They're going to have to come up with $675,000. Now, if we look at the invoice... You can see here at the top. Maybe you can't. I'll blow it up a little bit. Uh, you can see here at the top: twenty twenty three festival damage repair slash replacement one point four two five million. Then you have a deposit, city of Memphis invoice for three fifty. You have a deposit credit, Memphis and May escrow at two fifty, which was half of that five hundred that they were talking about for two years. And then you have a. Deposit credit for the city of Memphis at $150,000. So that's where your 750 comes from. And that leaves you with the net effective build at 675366 three sixty six, which is being rebuilt back to Memphis in May. And then, as Robert Moss had talked about a little bit, when you look at the breakdown of where these costs are, far and away, concrete pass. Are taking the lead out by 20, 30 lengths. It's like Secretariat running the third leg of the Belmont when she won the Triple Crown. And, uh, five hmm, hundred twenty five thousand dollars and five thousand two, five hundred twenty five thousand sixty nine dollars in concrete. Second to that, asphalt pathways at a little less than three hundred thousand dollars. Then you had sod at one seventy seven hundred fourteen thousand in landscape eighty two thousand dollars of irrigation then you have uh, site electrical at 14 grand and then you have uh, I guess what would be the nominal amounts uh, almost 10 grand in park fencing uh, plant rails and decking at thirty seven hundred dollars you have general conditions project requirements and fees and insurance all totaling over uh Hundred and some odd thousand dollars. Uh, there's forty one thousand dollars for design expenses, totaling out to one point four two five million. And again, uh, after deposits are taking out, six hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars is going back to Memphis May to pay on August twelfth, which starting tomorrow or starting at twelve oh one is three days away from now. So I sent emails to both Memphis River Parks Partnership and the Memphis and May's International Festival, as the governing body of both the music and the barbecue institutions. And the only one to answer was the Memphis River Parks Partnership. Not only did they answer, but they happily included a copy of the detailed invoice that we just went over that was sent to Memphis and May, as they have in the past. They are very communicative, very pro-everything, very, we want to have all of the festivals that we can possibly have. And much like Memphis and May is very unresponsive. <laughs> I've been asking Memphis and May for some type of comment. Originally, a number of months ago, before Memphis and May even took place, about that huge deposit they're going to require from teams, there was a very high-level response back to that. But after that, uh, no comments that were given after that. Uh, I reached out twice before the show this evening over the course of the weekend and yesterday to get any type of comment from Memphis and May on if they were going to be able to, A, afford a $675,000 Damage payment on the 12th, if they had no intention of paying it on the 12th, and if they were going to now be broke because of this invoice that evidently is correct under the terms and conditions of binding agreements. In fact, the Memphis River Parks Partnership wrote, moving forward, this was a reply back to me. Memphis River Parks Partnership is always happy to work with external event producers to host great events on the riverfront. All producers, Memphis and May included, must accept the standard rental terms and conditions, which include a rental fee as well as an agreement to cover damages caused by the event. We have a number of events booked for the back end of 2023 and in 2024. But as far as I know, we have yet to receive any inquiry from Memphis and May. Thank you for your email to the partnership. I had a short but insightful text exchange with a very well-known barbecue pit master and team leader that competes in Memphis in May. Rule number one of the show, no names please. But he told me, honestly, I think it was intentionally set up to fail this year. I think the inflated repair figures were predetermined. Many were treating this as the last Memphis in May at Tom Lee Park while we were there. I replied back. That blows, but appears inevitable now. Memphis and May doesn't return any emails or calls, so I don't have any reaction from their point. And he replied back, it's a big FU to Memphis and May. This was their plan all along. I don't know if Memphis and May will take the risk of moving it somewhere else next year. I replied back, this could be the end of Memphis and May forever then. And he replied back, it very well could be that million dollar figure could be the door slamming on a large scale Memphis and May. I think their only option is to greatly reduce overhead and move it. Otherwise, it's dead. So, again, the bottom line is this. As we sit here on August 8th, 2023 at almost 11 p.m. Eastern, there is an outstanding bill that is in the hands of somebody or some folks at Memphis and May's International Festival to the tune of 675K, it's due to the Memphis River Parks partnership in a little over three days, and we're getting no reply back from Memphis and May on what they even plan to do with it, if anything. And I'm concerned uh, two things. Uh, a, as the person I was texting with said, this could be it for Memphis and May altogether. Please make it no be true. And then secondarily, and it is proven to be a loser everywhere else when it's moved, that it could go back to Tiger Alley or Tiger Lane or whatever the hell they call it, or they could move it somewhere else. And then you're risking taking it out of the metropolitan area. You're losing foot traffic, the crowds and the gate generation revenue. It might not be there. And you're not going to have a festival that is an effective loser at at Jump Street. It would make no sense to have that. You got to make money in order to continue to do it. And if you're not having it at the location that most associate it with, and you don't have a better location to go to and an all around better location, not just because of the aesthetic or it's on the river, but something that's going to generate money and that it is in a district somewhere that you're going to encourage people to take part in that event or also give them an option to, go to bars or restaurants after they are done with your event and they're going into the city. It's a very precarious situation at the moment. So that's where we're sitting right now. Now, we will keep you updated on what's happening as soon as we hear anything. I anticipate I will get no replies back from Memphis in May until after the 12th, and I'm sure they won't reply back to me. It's something that we'll catch in the news. So follow me socially, and we'll make sure that we keep you all up to date on what's going on with this Memphis and May thing if you didn't know about it hopefully you are up to speed on where we're at it seems like the renovations to the park have been done and they don't really have any interest did I did I take the show thing out altogether uh oh uh oh wait Wait. Hmm. (sighs) What did I do? Uh, That looks like it's right. No, that's not right. I'll have to fix that after the ship. Wow, that's terrible. Big error on my part. All right, uh, let's go. So, again, if you uh, aren't familiar, hopefully I've got you up to speed. But we're sitting in jeopardy for Memphis and May, and it seems like the Parks Department doesn't want Memphis and May to be in. They say they do, but maybe, indeed, they don't. We'll see what happens. Follow me socially. I'll keep you up to speed. We'll talk about it on the show next Tuesday as well. By the way, we got a great show next week. Steven Reichlin will be joining us once more for his quarterly visit amongst others so stay tuned for that we thank Meathead in the first hour we thank Robert Moss in the first hour we thank Roger Daly for the balance of the second hour and we thank me for bringing you up to speed on what's happening at Memphis in May if you didn't know about it again big show playing for you next week how do I always leave you September 11th 2001 I will never forget until next Tuesday at 9pm Eastern this is your program host and proud US American Greg Rempe good night now This is Chris Payne from Euclid, Ohio, and you are listening to Barbecue Central.